text for this morning's sermon is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God, prepared, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, I just pray this morning as we uh, are gathered here that you would um, work in our hearts, work in our lives, work in our, th- our thoughts and our minds, Lord, that we would be conformed to your image, Lord. And if there are anyone, if there's anyone here this morning who is spiritually dead, that you would do a miracle this morning, that you would bring life to a dead heart. Lord, we just give you praise and glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So the title of today's message is Rejoice! Exclamation point, and, re- and Boast in God. Boast in God. Um, The main thesis, don't boast in your own good works or your own goodness, but rejoice in God's mercy, love, and grace. Um, 153 years ago, July 1st through the 3rd in 1863, during the American Civil War, the deadliest battle in the history of the United States was waged around Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Yep, the Battle of Gettysburg. Here are some accounts I read of that battle. The battle left more than 50,000 casualties over those three days. Almost four times more dead and wounded men than the total number of killed and wounded in the entire eight-year-long Revolutionary War. More than the whole Revolutionary War. Almost four times more. More casualties, in fact, than in all previous American wars combined. Nearly 8,000 had been killed outright. These bodies were lying around the battlefield in the hot summer sun. So many bodies lay unburied after three days of battle that a surgeon described the atmosphere as almost intolerable. One young boy who lived in in town recalled that everyone, quote, went about with a bottle of pennyroyal or peppermint oil, unquote, to counteract the smell. Gettysburg residents complained about a stench that persisted until October when at last the first frost came. The stench 
of death. Today's text reminds us of what we all once were and what believers have to rejoice about. So the first point on your notes there is rejoice. Remember that you were dead. Okay, first verse number one. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. When she once walked. John MacArthur wrote, Man does not become spiritually dead because he sins. Okay, get that again. Man does not become spiritually dead because he sins. He is spiritually dead because by nature he is sinful. So that's our nature. This is our nature. We were, it's the way we were born. We are sinful in our own nature. So we are, we're, we're, we're spiritually dead because of that nature. Okay. So here again, I'm dwelling on death in that first thing, but let's talk about death. This is a, this scripture is about death. What is our perception of death? You know, how, how dead is a person? Um, how, are there degrees of death or decomposition in body? I mean, these are things that, that, that I think we think about them spiritually, but we don't really relate them to physical death. So physically, dead people are corpses. Corpses, they're dead. They have no appetite for food or drink. I mean, even like the scripture that, that Scott read this morning, describing the idols, and you will become like this. They can't hear, they can't breathe, they can't taste, they can't, they can't do any of those things. Dead people are dead. They, they feel no pain. You know, and it doesn't matter how good they look. I mean, they're still dead. Sometimes in the nursing home or the funeral home, you say, oh my, doesn't he look good? Okay, how many times have I heard people say that? He looks really good. Okay, I don't care how good they look, they're still dead. There, there are three examples in Scripture that I'm going to bring up here that about people that Jesus raised from the dead. And each of these is, is, is different. Um, the first one is the account of Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. This is in Luke chapter 8. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. He came to Jesus begging him to come to his home and heal his daughter. I think it was his only daughter who was dying. Someone came from his house while he was there with Jesus and told him to not bother that his daughter was already dead. Well, Jesus went to the home with the father, with the ruler of the synagogue, and raised his daughter from the dead. Now likely, just to compare this with the other ones, likely Jairus' daughter was only dead a short time. Okay, She probably looked like she was only sleeping. But what was she? She was really dead. Her body hadn't decomposed. She was just sleeping. The second account is of the widow's son in Luke chapter 7. As Jesus was entering a town, the only son of a widow was being carried out to be buried. Jesus walked over to the funeral, the funeral bier and raised him from the dead. Okay, this, In this situation, the widow's son was likely was dead longer than, the, than Jairus' daughter, likely around 24 hours. The Jews don't embalm, and so they bury their dead as soon as possible. Um, because they don't embalm, some changes to the corpse were probably noticeable in this situation. Okay, The third case that we want to look at is one that's quite familiar to us, Lazarus. That's in John chapter 11. So in this case, Lazarus died. Jesus delayed returning. And um, when he got there, Lazarus's body had been in the tomb for four days. When he went to the went to the tomb, he said, "Roll the stone away." Martha said to him, "But master, there will be a, there will be an odor." In this situation, Jesus called him forth. He came out. He was resurrected. Again, a different situation in terms of he was just. There's no difference in death. They were all dead, 
but we see differences in terms of the decay of the body. Okay, The first one just had died. The second one dead about 24 hours. This one dead about four days. Okay, Let's think about the Civil War battlefield again at Gettysburg. On July 4th, 1863, the day after the battle, the soldiers are going out, and the townspeople of Gettysburg were also among them going out to deal with 8,000 dead corpses. And if you want to add to that, they had 3,000 dead horses as well. But we're just talking about people at this point. They were overwhelmed with the, with the magnitude of all this. But, you could, but they, as they walked around the battlefield, there was a definite difference. If there was a, 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 a soldier who had been killed late in the day on July 3rd, their corpse was in a different condition than a corpse that was, that was killed early in the day on July 1st. One day versus, or part of a day versus four days old. And the, thinking about the hot summer heat, there were different stages of decay as that, that took place. Why? Now, were they all dead? They were all dead, but they were different stages of decay. Now, why am I going through all this stuff? Well, it's because of how we perceive spiritual death. If we compare people, a person who was unsaved, but, you know, a pretty good, moral, upright person, maybe a member of a church, maybe a member of our church, but they're unsaved. They're, they're good to their kids. They are, they, they give money to charity. They, they're upstanding and good workers in their, in their jobs. But if they're unsaved, they're dead. Compare that to a, a skid roll bum. Okay, this person is a drug addict or an alcoholic. They're maybe homeless. They're, they're, they've, they've wasted their life. They're not saved. You think, okay, that person's in worse. Is that person any worse than the person who is a morally upright person, a, a, a good person in the community? Or compare that to the person who is a mass murderer or maybe a, a, a member of ISIS that has just attacked and killed hundreds of people or Hitler, or Stalin, or somebody who's killed millions of people. Are those people worse? Are they more dead? You know, they're more... What, what we see is different stages of... We can compare it to decay. The person who sins more, who, whose sins are more visible to us, is probably, it'd be similar to us, we'd say the body is in more states of, of decay compared to the person who is a morally upright person. But does that change anything? Even though we look at that person and say, well, that's, it. that's a good person. They're all in the same condition. They are all lost. They're all dead. They're all spiritually dead. See, in spiritual death, we can do nothing to please God. We possess no spiritual life. We cannot respond to spiritual things. We can't understand any spiritual truths. So there are some examples that we often think of when we think of how about how a person is saved or how 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 the condition of the person is before they're saved. And one of those things that that's a, an example that we I've often heard is the person who is who who is in who is desperate and needs to be saved is like a person who's drowning in the midst of turbulent waters. So he's standing there, he's gone down twice, he's getting ready to go down the third time, and he's dead. he'll be dead, okay? So we throw him, throw him of that life preserver, that ring buoy, if he just can grab a hold of it, accept Christ, that's what's going to save him. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says we were dead. It doesn't say we were alive, but almost dead, we were struggling, we were drowning. It says we were dead. 
It doesn't say that we were struggling, that we were waiting for a, hand, a helping hand, that we were re- holding up our hand because we we're ready to go down, ready for that hand to reach Jesus and grasp a hold of his hand. We are incapable of holding out and reaching someone's hand because we are dead. Scripture says we are dead. There is nothing we can do. Dead people cannot save themselves. And this is what we were. So what's our response? Think about this. We were dead. God saved us. I didn't get to that part yet, but that's where we're going. Okay, God saved us. We were all spiritually dead. We rejoice because we were dead. We understand the depth of our depravity, the, the, the greatness of our need, and it helps us to rejoice because God is so good to us. So let's look at the, set, um, the next verse in this. Following, this is the, the uh, 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 verse number two, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In deadness, we followed the world. We were enslaved by the world system. In deadness, we also followed Satan, the prince of the power of the air. This doesn't mean that everyone who isn't saved is an axe murderer or a drug addict, but Satan is, is subtle and cunning and clever in, in how, he, how he deceives people. Satan's usual tactic is to give people a false sense of security through self-righteousness. We all can fall, fall victim to that. The Pharisees, they were righteous. They were, they were religious, respected, moral people. And yet God, Jesus called them children of the devil in John 8, 44. That's what Jesus called the Pharisees, who are the most righteous, religious, upright, morally people of this day. In verse 3, we go on and read, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. In our deadness, we followed our heart and after the passions and desires of our flesh. And I've heard this described as... as um, First of all, making our own selves the, a god, we we um, we lift ourselves up, and we would be our own gods. We'd rule our own lives. Number two is that materialism is a great uh, uh, um, lure for us, especially Americans, that we desire all these things, and certainly lust of the flesh, and also includes sexual sins, which we see rampant around us in the country, in our world today. So here we are. In, in, uh, enslaved to the passions of our flesh, the desires of the mind and the body, carrying out these things. And then further on in verse 3, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we were dead under the curse of God's wrath. We're subject to God's judgment. So what do we do? We rejoice because we remember. Remember, why do we why do we rejoice? Remember that we were dead. Remember how great our need was. Remember how much we needed a Savior. So therefore, we rejoice. We boast in God. So the second point you notes is rejoice and remember that God made you alive. Verse 4, the first two words, but God. So here we were, dead, enslaved to the world, enslaved to our, the passions of sin. It's under the, under the influence and, and power of the devil who is who's, who's uh, leading our lives in that respect. Here we are, but God, in our need, one person said perhaps the two sweetest words in Scripture, Paul has just painted a picture of how desperate the human condition is, and then we get, but God. And why does he show us how desperate we were? To show us how gracious, how merciful God is. 
beyond even anything we could imagine. Going on in verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Because of His great love for us. God loved us even while we were unlovable. Even while we were rebellious. Even while we were dead in our sins and trespasses. God loves us in spite of our desperate condition. It's nothing that we deserve. Our nature is sinful. We deserve eternal punishment. And then he talks about in this, because of his love, he gives us mercy and grace. And mercy and grace, we think of those, well, they're kind of synonymous terms. We often use those words together. They're kind of the same thing, right? Well, they really aren't. They really aren't. Mercy, in love, God had mercy on us. And mercy, God does not give us what we deserve. In grace, God gives us what we do not deserve. So there's really a very different sense there. In mercy, God does not give us eternal punishment. In grace, God gives us eternal life. So in in a sense, it's like two sides of the same coin. If we call the coin love, one side of that coin is mercy, and the other side of that coin is grace. This is only possible through the cross. Christ paid for our sins on the cross. You know, Christ is, God is a righteous God. He's a just God. And that justice demands that our sins be punished for. And so what he did was he put his own son on the cross to suffer for this, for, to, to pay the punishment, to suffer and pay the punishment for our sins, to pay the price. And so Christ paid for our sins on the cross. Verse 6, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So raised him, raised us up with Him. We presently experience a spiritual resurrection in our lives. So there's a present sense to this. So presently, we are seated, we are raised up as, as, we accept, as, as Christ gives us life in our hearts and we put our faith in Jesus Christ we experience spiritual resurrection right now. But there's also a sense that part of that is future. In the, in, the, uh, in the future, we will experience the resurrection of our physical bodies, which will occur when Christ returns. Further on in that verse, it talks about seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we're being seated with Christ. What this does is that we share in His victory over demonic powers. Now, this does not mean that we're going to be, that we're totally immune from all sin and evil in this world, or that we're going to be, lead sinless lives. But what it does mean is we're no longer dead. We're no longer totally obligated to follow the world, Satan, or our flesh. We won't perfectly do this, but our trajectory is toward sanctification in Christ who gives us the power to overcome the world and our sinful desires. We're going to fail. We're going to, we're, going to, we're going to sin. But when we sin, we return from that sin and we want to follow Christ. So the whole idea is it's a trajectory. We're going to be moving toward, when we, we talk about this in the next few verses, is our good works, which are the outflow of our faith, are going to grow and, and be the expression of that faith. So when it says we'll be seated with Him, although we'll be seated with Christ, 
we will not be seated at the right hand of God. Right hand of God. That place is reserved for Christ. But we're still seated in the heavenlies with Christ. That's our promise. That's where we we're, we're as good as there right now if you've put your faith in Christ. Okay, so rejoice and remember that God made you alive. We can boast in this. God made us alive. We didn't do it ourselves. So that is our boast. Our third point on the sheet is rejoice. You will forever experience the richness of God's grace. So boast in God. This is in verses seven and eight. So that in the ages that he, in the ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So we're talking about the immeasurable riches of his grace. What are those? That's the salvation. That the, the immeasurable riches of his grace is salvation. It's the blessings that we enjoy as believers. And why do we have this? Is it for our own? Yeah, it's for our good. It takes it's our our ticket to heaven, so to speak. But but the purpose is for us, is the purposes of eternally glorifying God. God gets the glory when when a when when a sinner is saved and becomes a, and puts their faith in Christ. And, and Christ, by doing this, is glorified. And our purpose throughout heaven is to glorify God. Through faith, and this is not of your own doing. Now this, this refers, this section of, the, of this is, um, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. So originally this whole, this whole verse, this whole section, verses 1 through 10, in the Greek, was one sentence. Now that's a long sentence, in English, I think they broke it up here into three sentences. But as they, as scholars study this Greek, as they look at this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that phrase is what, is, is what the next phrase is about. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, is referring to that phrase. So in other words, the grace is not our own doing, it's the gift of God, but so is the faith. Our faith is not of our own doing. It is a gift of God. God gives us the ability to have faith. So, through faith, this is not your own doing. This, the, the word, this, so by, so by grace you've been saved through faith. So even our faith is a gift from God. God's grace is active in every aspect of salvation. So, we rejoice because we will forever experience the richness of God's grace so we boast in God again. The fourth point on your notes are rejoice God produces people who do good works for His glory. So, verse 9 says, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Well, God's worth, work in salvation excludes any boasting. We can only boast in God. So that's been very clear. We cannot, it's not us, it's God. We can't boast, so it's not a result of our works. So then we look at verse 10, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Only faith and not good works can give us acceptance to God. God doesn't accept us because we do good works. God only accepts us because we put our faith in Christ. But genuine faith will always result in good works. And this is a consequence of the new, consequence of the new life that's in us. So in other words, works are an important part of our Christian life. But works do not save us. God will not accept us because of our good works. But because we are saved, the outpouring of that faith is good works. Listen to this, Titus 
This, the saying is trustworthy. And I want to insist, want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So here Paul is telling Titus, those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. He's encouraged them, those that believe, not other people, but those that believe would, would devote themselves to good works. And a, a passage of Scripture that we're probably more familiar with is James chapter 2, verses 14 to 19. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? A brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That faith is dead. There is no faith. In other words, there is no life in that heart. Going on in verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So, so Paul here is saying, the only way you can show your faith is by your works. And then the next verse, number nine, verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons believe in God. They believe in Jesus Christ. They believe in the Holy Spirit. But they're not saved. So belief, has mere intellectual assent, understanding something there, is not the same as putting one's faith in. It's not the same as having a heart that is alive, spiritual birth. Okay, So we are to be instruments of God's mercy, love, and peace. So this is what, what is the outpouring of this, of this in our lives? How do we respond to these things? Let's, let's go on in Ephesians. This wasn't our text for today, but let's go on in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11. And, and through, through the end of the chapter, verse 22. And I think this really gives us something that I think is very pertinent for us today, especially in our country right now, and in the world around us as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So here you have the Gentiles called the uncircumcision, and you have Israel called the circumcision. You have them alienated from one another. And in, in fact, the Gentiles were cut off from the promise. They were alienated from, from God even at this point. Okay, Having no hope without God in the world for those. Okay, Going on in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the Gentiles who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So Christ has made the Jews and the Gentiles one. Okay, And how do we relate this in, into our lives today? I mean, Many commentators are relating, that, that, telling us that we can apply this in our lives today to many of the racism and, and, and discrimination that we see around us today. Why? You know, we see the, 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 the issues that are arising in our country, especially black on white violence and white on black violence. 
He himself is our peace who has made us both one. In Christ, we are one regardless of who we are, regardless of what color our skin is. We have made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Going on in verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments and, ex- and expressed in ordinances that he cre- might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. So what Christ is doing is making the church here. And the church is composed of people of every race, of every color, of every nation, of every tribe. And in verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So, so here again, Christ is, Christ is, is reconciling the, these members of the body into one body, which is Christ, the body of Christ, the church. And then we're going on to verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we are actually being built into a dwelling place for God's Spirit. So this is, this is, the, this is the beauty of, of, of the gospel is that, is that it brings unity. So well, how, what's our response? Rejoice. God produces people who do good works for his glory. Rejoice because God loves every tribe, every nation, in every people. Rejoice because we're called to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, now about those who are spiritually dead. John MacArthur wrote, and only John MacArthur could probably write this. I couldn't say it, so I'm quoting him directly. This is what John MacArthur wrote. Men apart from God are spiritual zombies. The walking dead who do not know they are dead. Now, here's modern culture entering into our sermon. Zombies. I don't watch zombie movies. I don't read zombie comics or graphic novels. But you can't exist in society today without being aware of zombies, okay? They're out there in the world around us. So, zombies are the walking dead, the undead, the whatever gruesome picture that is. Pretty decayed, right? Flesh-wise. This is what, that's what's going on around us. Scottish commentator John Eady said, it is a case of death walking. That's how he described it. So, my question in a group this size is, are you a spiritual zombie? A case of death walking? You know, there there may be someone here who is spiritually dead. You You know, it's even possible, and I might step on some toes here when I say some of these things. You may even have... And I'm going to hit everybody, including us, okay? Prayed a prayer to accept Christ. Gone forward when an invitation was given. Been baptized. Been confirmed. You may even be a member of a church. Those things don't save you. Now, God can use these things, and God can work through these situations, but ultimately, it is only God who saves. If you are relying on any of these things to save you, they're all works. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9 again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. 
It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now to be sure, once God brings life to our heart, and this is not our own doing, it is the gift of God, or it gives gifts, I'm skipping lines here, sorry. Now, once God brings gift to our heart, He gives us the ability to have faith. And then we express our faith in Christ. But it all comes from God. And we do need to express that faith in Christ. So how does this play out in our church? Sam and Scott and I, we work to do our best to glorify God in each of our church services. We want to be sure, first of all, that we submit to the head of the church, which is Christ Jesus. Number two, that we faithfully preach God's whole word. We're not picking and choosing just the things we like. We're going to preach God's whole word. Number three, that we articulate it in such a way that people can understand it. Number four, that each scripture reading, each song, each prayer is appropriate and glorifies God. And number five, that there isn't anything that distracts us from God. Every service, we pray that God would make deaf ears to hear. We pray that blind eyes would be made to see. And we pray that dead hearts would come alive. Even though we strive to glorify God in these ways, we know we can't save anyone. It is only God who saves. But this gives us confidence to proclaim the gospel as best we can, knowing that our proclamation will be imperfect. Why? Because it is only God who saves. You know, we pray that death would be replaced by spiritual rebirth. Now, now, why would I tell you this? Because this applies to all of us. It applies to all believers. The stench of death is around us every day. There's death walking at every side. When you're out, I don't care, when, I'm, when you're at work, when you're shopping, when you're anywhere, there's death around you. Death walking. Spiritual zombies around you all the time. You know, what can we do about it? We can all, number one, have confidence that it is God who saves. It's not us. It's nothing that we do. It is God who saves. That's our confidence. God uses poor clay vessels like us, like us, like all of us, to preach His Word to the world imperfectly. He has called us to do so. We can speak to spiritual zombies and know that in spite of our inadequacies, it is only God who saves. So we need to have confidence that we can speak imperfectly words to others that God can use to bring life to dead hearts. And it won't be us doing it. It'll be God doing it. So if you're here this morning and you're unsure about the state of your heart, if you're questioning your salvation, maybe God is is bringing life to your heart to give you eyes that sees that something isn't right here. You know, What's the process for doing it? I think it's different for every person. But I would encourage you to speak to someone. Speak to Sam, to Scott, to myself, to another believer. Speak to someone about your questions. Speak to someone about the urgings that you feel in your heart to to know God better. We would joyfully explain the gospel to you. And it would be be a joy to do those kind of things. But we just just, want to encourage you to be sensitive to the callings of the Spirit. And like I say, every Sunday we pray that God would open the eyes, open the ears, bring life to dead hearts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank You for the blessing of, 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 of Your mercy, of Your grace, 
We thank You for reminding us of our desperate condition. We thank You for loving us when we were unlovable. You loved us so much that You gave the most precious thing You had, Your Son, to suffer on the cross and pay the price for our sins. And and Heavenly Father, that's something we can't comprehend. And I just pray that You would... Um, you would be glorified here in this service this morning. That that um, as we as we um, as we as we sing this final song, Lord, Lord, that we lift up our voices in praise to you to give you glory, Lord. And I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, that doesn't hasn't put their faith in Jesus, Lord, that you would would bring spiritual awakening to their heart, that you would make them alive, Lord. I pray that you'd give us courage to go forth from this place and to speak truth to speak the words of, of truth from the, that come from your Scriptures, to speak about Christ and faith in Christ to those who are spiritual zombies, to those who are the walking dead, that we'd be aware of the stench of death around us, Lord, that we would see it and it would, and it would cause us to have compassion and love for those around us, Lord. So we give you praise, we give you glory, in Jesus' precious name, amen.